Welcome to episode 61 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Becky. She used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Becky, for your generous contribution. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Today's topic was suggested by a listener last week. It's, we're calling it, is it God's will or is it intuition? How do we hear God's will? And is it the same thing as intuition or not? Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of God's will or intuition. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I will be your host today. And today I'm doing this solo. I did get some written contributions, which we'll share in a little bit, and uh, help to sort of have a conversation with the people who wrote them, I guess. So the first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be discussion of the topic, God's will or intuition. And following a musical break, we'll talk about my life in recovery, about what's happening in the meetings I attend and in my life. And we'll follow that with your email and voice contributions and some brief news about the podcast before closing with another musical break. I'm going to start with a brief reading from One Day at a Time in Al-Anon. This is November 7th. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, says Step 11. This gives me the assurance that my conscious contact with Him depends entirely on me, on my desire for it. This great power is mine, constantly near, and available for me to use. I wanted to start out by uh, maybe looking at some definitions. We have in our steps, we have uh, steps really 3, 7, and 11 that refer to God's will. Although uh, in step 7, it's it's indirect um, in that we're, we're asking God for, for help. I think the uh, the subtext is that we carry out that help by paying attention to, to God's will for us. Um, step three is where we make the decision to turn our lives and our will over to the care of God as we understand him or her or it. And in step 11, we seek through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with our higher power. And then there's intuition, uh, which was what we're contrasting God's will with, as uh, suggested by our listener last week. And I looked up intuition. um, You know, I asked Google, right? Google, define intuition. And Google said, intuition, one, the ability to understand something immediately without the need for conscious reasoning. And synonym there is instinct. Two, a thing that one knows or considers likely from instinctive feeling rather than conscious reasoning. So in both of those definitions, we find that intuition is something that does not come from our consciousness, that does not come from conscious thought. It it just comes up. And to me right there, there's a little bit of a, a conflict with what step 11 tells us to do, which is to improve our conscious contact with our higher power. So I'm going to come back to that one in a little bit because that's that's sort of an interesting um, dichotomy there, and and uh, I have some further thoughts. And one of the things that has always been a bit of a struggle in this program for me, for and for others that I know, for people that I sponsor, is you know how do I know when I'm hearing God's will? What is it that tells me that? I'm not just thinking it's God's will because I want that to be an appropriate answer. I, 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 want, a, I want a particular outcome. And I want to look at some things that are both positive ways that I can seek to know the will of my higher power and also sort of warning signs 
things that tell me that I'm probably bringing in my own desire to control my own need for a particular outcome and probably not listening to my higher power. And uh, so we'll explore those as, as, uh, as we go through here. And I want to bring in another voice, although it's going to be, you know, my physical voice reading it. But I want to bring in um, first Ruth's voice. Ruth uh, wrote to me um, on this question. She said, hello, Spencer, co-host and fellow listeners. The question, is it intuition or the will of my higher power? How do we hear our higher power's will, which we are told to ask for in step 11? So I see that, that we're starting out on the same page with step 11 and wondering how we hear our higher power's will. And she continues, When I found the recovery show last year, I used every minute to listen to it. First, to cover all the episodes because I was so curious what was said in them. The other reason was because I was using it not to really process some new ideas, but also just for numbing. I didn't want to hear my inner voices, which were mainly driven by fear. I plugged in the earplugs as soon as I left the bathroom and unplugged my ears just before I entered the office. I put my listening device beside my pillow so I could listen to recovery voices until I found some sleep. When I woke up during the night, I turned it on again. Things were getting worse for me. Since the end of last year, I was totally embracing the toxic relationship with my work. It needed four people, two doctors and two pharmacists, telling me that they could treat my four different symptoms, but was really behind those was stress. So finally, I had to realize my severe codependency relapse. In one episode, the question rose if codependency is a progressive illness if not stopped. I can say yes to that. My body was getting really loud to get through that numbing while I was forcing myself through the day. I call it my zombie mode when I just move my body and pretend to be alive. I think I'll pause there uh, because I think Ruth's story exhibits really well uh, an example where um, you know she was not in conscious contact with a higher power and was just getting through um, on will, basically on willpower and on numbing. And I can, I can totally, I can totally relate to that. There have been times um, in in the past years, uh, certainly, certainly during the time before I came into the Al-Anon program, and even when I was early in the program, uh, I did whatever I could to to numb, to escape the the chaos that was my life at the time to escape the fears uh, that I had to escape the anger that I was feeling. Uh, And that included, uh, I would spend a lot of time uh, reading uh, escapist fiction, uh, a lot of mystery stories. Mystery stories are, are, are good to escape into because there's excitement, there's tension, they can, it keeps my attention, and I know at the end uh, the bad guy is going to be found out, and everything's going to work out. And that, you know, that wasn't happening in my life. Things I thought were not working out in my life, and so that I could take myself away from my life that way. Um, I could throw myself into my work. I could spend a lot of time focusing on work. I could work late. I could go back in the evening after dinner. And I also have to say that um, I spent a certain amount of time drinking and because that would numb the feelings. That would uh, enable me to, to escape those feelings for a little while. And I'm really thankful that I apparently do not have that, uh, that alcoholic tendency, that alcoholic disease in, in my makeup, because if I did, uh, I'd be in hopefully would be in at least AA at this point, if not AA and Al-Anon. And so, you know, during that time, I was just, I was trying to control and I was trying to escape. So I really connect, uh, I really connect with Ruth here on that. And my awakening came, my awakening came when I, I went uh, to a, a friends and family day at a treatment center and 
I heard for the first time those words that I could not, I did not cause this disease, that I could not control it and I could not cure it. And, and I heard that I was severely affected by it, which as uh, those of you who have listened all the way through know, was really driven home to me by answering the 20 questions on a little flyer that they had there. And I answered yes to 16 of them and maybe to one of them and no to the other three. And then at the bottom it said, and if you answered yes to three or more of these questions, you may benefit from Al-Anon. And all those things came together that day to really drive home to me, not only that I was powerless, but that that I needed I needed help, that I needed something, and that Al-Anon might be it. And that was, I went to my Al-Anon, first Al-Anon meeting that, that evening. So when did I start listening for the will of my higher power? Well, in a, in a very real sense, I heard it that day. I heard it that afternoon when, when those words struck to my heart and, and lifted that weight of unmanageability of somebody else's disease from my shoulders. And when I went to meetings and I listened to what people said and I started to think, well, you know, it helped them. Maybe it'll help me, even if it seems totally weird. Um, you know, when they said, give your will and your life over the care of a higher power, well, I didn't have a higher power. And I sure as heck wasn't going to give up my will. But they kept telling me that this is what worked. And and so I thought, well, we'll give it a try. I don't know exactly how. And I heard, act as if. you know. So I was hearing I was hearing the voice of a power greater than myself. And maybe that was just the voice of the program at that point. Or maybe that was the voice of the higher power that I had not yet accepted into my life. But I started to hear it, and I started to listen to it, and I started to to do the things that were suggested. So if we go back to Ruth here. She says, Then I heard if you meditate two times a day, only for two weeks your life changes. That was what I needed, a change in my life because my schedule became even tighter because I have to treat these stress symptoms. I was miserable. To be honest, until now, I didn't take the 11th step very seriously. I was good with the times my higher power speaks to me, and when not, I just managed it on my own and did what I thought was best. So now I would seek through prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact with God as I understand him, praying only for knowledge of his will for me and the power to carry that out. I remember, especially at a younger age, that I was giggling when I came up across topics in books or seminars with titles like Be Relaxed in the Here and Now, and people in purple pajama trousers doing strange things like conscious breathing. So I had to let go of that attitude first. Then I became entirely ready to let go of judging other people, how they are finding their way to sanity, and became able to just learn from them how to meditate. I also wrote down the 12-step prayers in my own language and words, so that when I don't know what to say, I could just read those to pray. And I found some very useful podcasts and apps with guided meditations, which helped me to meditate. So she starts here to talk about the way in which she's seeking to improve her conscious contact with her higher power, as she understands her higher power. And I, you know, I feel like Ruth is, is way ahead of me in this, uh, at least in the in chronological order, because it it took me really a long time to really work step eleven. Um, you know, the the meditation thing came really hard for me. I sort of understood theoretically how it was supposed to work, but it was really hard for me to put it into practice, and I had to find sort of other ways to quiet the the chattering monkey mind so that maybe I could start to hear my higher power. And I had to find other ways maybe that I could could hear that hear that will, hear hear that those suggestions for my life. So I want to um bring in another voice here, um Adrian, who uh, was with us in person last week, also uh, wrote her thoughts about this question, is it intuition or the will of my higher power? 
And she says, I'm convinced that God's will manifests itself through our intuition. It becomes one and the same, but only with practice. The real question then, is it intuition or my will? When we are running our lives purely on self-will, fear and assumptions control our intuition. When we take the third step and turn our will and our lives over to our higher power, we agree to turn over our intuition as part of that deal. And our intuition becomes a way for our higher power to speak directly to us. This works only when we are truly allowing our higher power to run the show. When I take my will back, which may happen frequently throughout any given day, then the voice I hear in my head is myself, trying to get its own way again. It becomes a feedback loop, telling me what I want to hear, giving me excuses to do what I want to do. Yeah, (laughs) definitely have been there. Um. Yeah, the feedback loop. You know, what is what is the answer that I want? And then let's uh, convince myself that it's the right answer. And I think you know this this leads into some of this question about what are warning signs that I'm really not hearing my higher power's voice that I'm really hearing, um, if you will, the devil sitting on my shoulder or just my own wishes uh, echoed back to me. And I spent I spent some time over this last week, again, looking on the internet for what other people had to say, and and I found um, some real wisdom on the blog Al-Anon Journal, which I've referred to before, and we do have a link in the sidebar on the website. And she talks about when she gets really frantic or frenetic, when she's running around trying to make things happen, uh, basically when she's trying to control, that that's a very clear sign that she's not seeking the will of her higher power. And I can I can relate to that in my own life, certainly. Uh, and that's, that's a danger sign for me, that I'm trying to impose my own will, uh, particularly if I'm trying to uh, control another person, if I'm trying to to make them do what I want them to do. Um, you know, I had a, had a situation earlier this year where um, a, a friend uh, made a decision that um, had some consequences for me, and, and I didn't like those consequences. And I, I spent a fair amount of time trying to figure out, well, how can I convince them that that's really not the right decision? And, you know, luckily, I guess I, I have enough program that I knew that my thinking was distorted, that I was trying to force a solution, and was able to how's that how's that go? Don't just do something, stand there. Um, you know, and to wait to wait for things to just sort of happen and to see what was going to happen. And you know, the way things happened were not the way I wanted them to happen. But because I didn't try to force another solution, I didn't, at least I didn't make it worse. Um, I had a recently had a conversation with a, a friend in the program who uh, called me up and said, the reading encouraged to change today really pissed me off. I said, oh, really? Why, why is that? And we talked about it and I guess it felt like the the reading was saying that that something my friend had had decided to do a decision that my friend had made um, might have been a case of of forcing a solution rather than than waiting to understand uh, really what was uh, if you will the right answer or a right answer uh, to the question they were facing and you know, we had a we had a conversation about it, and 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 mostly my friend vented. Uh, but we also talked about other ways in which maybe that reading could be interpreted, uh, more gentle ways than uh, the way that that they were taking it, which is basically you're wrong, you screwed up. And but then, as as time went by, I had another conversation with this friend a couple of weeks later where. They said, you know, 
I'm I'm beginning to see the truth in the reading. And sometimes what we need, I guess, to to hear what our higher power is trying to say, sometimes we need we just need time. We need to let things work. Um I need to let things work in my subconscious or wherever it is that's that's not my conscious mind. And that sort of brings us back to this question of intuition, doesn't it? Um there's that that part of my my brain which which works on things when I'm not thinking about them and then can, uh, you know, present me with uh, an answer or an idea or a different way of looking at it. I usually don't see that. I often don't see that by myself. Um, it often takes hearing hearing something in another voice for, for me to really understand what it is that, that my own mind or my higher power has, has worked out for me. I'm getting a little off. Uh, maybe I'm getting a little off here. I'm not sure. Um, I want to come back to, uh, to Ruth. Who's, uh, she says, I could have answered the initial question. Is it intuition or the will of my higher power? Very shortly. Intuition is one of the voices of my higher power. Before the program, I would explain intuition just as a more direct and therefore quicker way than conscious thinking to get to my knowledge. Now, as I'm finally aware that I'm not God, it doesn't matter anymore whose knowledge or wisdom it is because I'm just part of it all, and I have access to it if I choose to want it. I heard once in an open talk an Al-Anon friend saying, God is a gentleman. He doesn't come uninvited. Now I use the tools I have learned to invite my higher power into my life. So what happened after some days of doing my daily meditations? One of my symptoms is a sense of a racing heart. I've had the entire day and it wakes me up during the night, which frightens me because I thought this would make me really sick, so in the near future I would have to go to the hospital, lose my job, and die poor and lonely under a bridge. Fear feeds fear. So after some days of honest efforts to meditate, suddenly my heart returned to a normal rhythm. It's like a miracle how the world looks like when the lenses of fear are taken away. I couldn't do it alone. I can only do the footwork. And yes, the palpitations are coming back. Not as constant and intense as they were, but they keep reminding me to do my part. I think that truly working the 11th step is more effective than trying to fit all those medical treatments into my calendar. It includes turning off the TV, the radio, not putting in earplugs and listening to something on the way to work, but being present to my now, my surroundings, my feelings, the voice, and the signs of my higher power, and having quiet me times. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I, I hear that. I hear that, and I, under, I can understand that in, in my own life as something that I manage to do occasionally. Um, I think I'm learning from Ruth here. Um, and that, that racing heart sensation. So back in the fall, um, I finally got the official diagnosis from my doctor of, of high blood pressure. This was a diagnosis that I had been fearing and hiding from for at least a year. Uh, you know, when my doctor a year ago, year and a half ago, I guess now suggested that I should take my blood pressure at home to see if it was maybe lower than it was in the doctor's office. And I started taking it at home, and it was at least as high as it was in the doctor's office and maybe higher, which might partly be, you know, a difference in equipment or something, but who knows. Well, I didn't didn't like that answer. I didn't want that answer. And so the way that I, quote, controlled that situation was to stop taking my blood pressure. Because, you see, if I don't take it, then I don't know that it's high. And then I don't have to do anything about it. And, you know, the funny thing is reality doesn't go away if you try to ignore it. So this year when I went in for my annual physical and my doctor said, okay, we really need to talk about your blood pressure. We need to start doing something about it. Um, you know, there it was. And, and so I started on medication and I decided that I really should be taking my blood pressure the cat was out of the bag, so to speak, that, that my blood pressure was high. And if I'm taking this medication, maybe it'll go down and that would be good. So I started taking it every morning, but I would sit down 
and I would feel my heart beating and I would feel my, you know, as the sort of the, the tension of what, what's my blood pressure reading going to be today would stress me and my heart would beat faster. And I thought, well, if my heart's beating faster, then that's going to drive up my blood pressure. And I don't want that to happen. And of course, there's a feedback loop that works really well. Okay. I need to be not stressed so that my heart rate will slow down so that my blood pressure will drop. But the situation is that it's not slowing down and therefore I'm stressed. And when I'm stressed, my heart rate goes up, you see. And so I started doing, uh, you know, a 10 minute meditation before I took my blood pressure. And it was very simple breathing meditation, nothing, nothing fancy. I did get an app that would work as a timer and, and had the, the little Tibetan bell sounds in it um, so that I could feel like I was officially meditating or something. And the neat thing was that that by doing that, um, you know, I, I lost that racing heart. It, 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 it did slow down. And I don't know if it dropped my blood pressure or not, but I felt better. I felt more at ease. I felt more serene. Have I maintained that practice? Um, I have to say no. I have to be honest and say no, I haven't. Um, I'm going back to being too busy to take 15 minutes in the morning to meditate and take my blood pressure. And huh. Okay. Well, you know, what does my higher power say to me about that? My higher power says to me, really, you probably should be doing that. And, and some of the reading that I did spoke to that too. Let's go back to Ruth. How do I know... It is my higher power speaking to me. It is different. Sometimes I know it is because it's smooth and easy and I don't have to fight my way through. I'm thinking of a friend and then she is calling and asks me if we can talk or meet. A thought like, I should call my mom or I should go to the gym today because there won't be time in the weekend. The gym task might not be so easy, but it really feels right and makes sense. I'm picking up a newspaper in a waiting room and one job advertisement is just beaming, then I should apply. Roses blossom in November in front of my house just for me. There's a little smiley face there. But of course they're for you. You know, and and just because, this is me breaking in here, okay, but I feel like just because other people can enjoy the roses doesn't mean they're not for you. Maybe they're for all of you. For everybody who needs to see them, they're there. And the people who don't need to see them just walk by and don't really notice. You know? Anyway, sorry, back to Ruth. Some healthy food in the supermarket looks really appealing, and I know right away what kind of meal I will prepare today. I miss a bus or just take a different seat so I come to talk to someone might be worth listening to. And sometimes, when it seems that I really... Don't want to be in that easygoing flow. Grabbing, again, the driver's wheel. My higher power may also talk to me through the pain of my body. Hey, here is something you should really work on. I hope something in my sharing speaks to you. Thanks, Ruth. And, uh, yeah, so this question of how does our higher power speak to us is um, is, is is a good one for me. Uh, and... Another reading that I found um, at the Al-Anon Journal that really, really spoke to me, um, although I think I, I took it a little differently than than the writer maybe meant it, but hey, take what you like. Huh? Um, she talked about when she was young and they wanted to watch television, you had to, you had to be at the TV at the time the show was on, uh, and you know, if you got distracted, you missed something, you couldn't rewind and play it again because it was all, there was no VCR, there was no TiVo, there was no digital video recorder. And so watching television became intentional. It was something that, that you planned to do. Maybe as a family, you planned to watch it together. And I, I remember that, you know, hey, it's time for our show. And we went in and we sat down and we watched it. And maybe you could jump up during the commercials if you needed to, to get some food or to, to go to the bathroom. But, you know, if you left the room, uh, you missed it and you couldn't go back. And she went on to say that making contact with our higher power also has that about it. That we can't just DVR our higher power's will and play it back later. 
that we need to make time to be there, to be wholly there, to be consciously there, to be deliberately and intentionally there. And although in my understanding of my higher power, my higher power is always available to me. But my higher power rarely just puts things there for me. Or maybe my higher power does and I just don't notice. Um, I have to invite my higher power in. I have to invite God in. I have to, to take that time to quiet my will so that I can hear the will of my higher power. I was in a meeting last night and one of the members at the table said something very much like that. She said that when I come to a meeting, I open myself up to the readiness to hear my higher powers will through your voices. And I thought, yes, yes, that is so true. You know, I, I, I know that my higher power speaks to me through other people more often than I just hear the voice of my higher power as that still small voice in my head or as maybe as intuition. And maybe that's my difficulty with, with this whole concept that, that the will of my higher power is intuition because my intuition doesn't work that way yet. I don't know. But I go to a meeting and I have that readiness. I know that I'm there to hear. I know that I'm there so that the program can speak to me, so that my higher power can speak to me, so that you can speak to me. And then I can take that and use that uh, in my recovery. And that happened several times last night. Um, Another member talked about how even though her life was very chaotic. There was there were a number of bad things, situations in her life at the moment. She knew, she knew from experience that that things did work out, and that they might not work out the way she wanted them to, but they would work out. And I realized something. I realized that there are situations in my life that are still stressful, that are that that can still generate. Uh, fear and uncertainty in my mind and in my body as my body follows my mind into into the stress reaction. And the situations maybe have not changed. Um, you know, there are things outside me that I don't have a lot of control over. But they don't bother me the way they used to. They don't keep me awake at night the way they used to. And I think the reason is what what this member said, that I have come to see that if I put my faith in following the will of my higher power, that things do work out. And so when this fear comes up, I can say, yes, this is, this is not something I'm happy about. This is not something I am enjoying. This is something that I have fear about. But I can have faith that if I continue to follow the program, if I continue to keep my conscious contact, if I continue to take inventory, uh, to make amends when necessary, to pray and meditate regularly, um, and to listen. If I do these things, and if I act on what I hear, things will work out. And so I can, I can tell myself that, and I can go back to sleep. And, you know, that's some kind of a, a new miracle for me. It's not something that I really had been able to do very well in the past. Um, so again, program working. Program working. Let's see what uh, what Adrian has to say here. So what helps me bring my intuition back into alignment with my higher power's will is prayer and meditation. It doesn't have to be anything fancy, just sincere. When I remember to start my day by asking only to be of service and to do my higher power's will, whatever that may be, and agree to turn my will over for the day, I find that my intuition never turns me in the wrong direction, and things seem to fall eerily in place all day long. Amazing so-called coincidences occur constantly. When I grab my will back, then I'm left with my control freak, fearful ego whispering in my ear instead. I'll finish here with a section of the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, pages 86 and 87, which contains some specific instructions 
for tuning our intuition into our higher power's will. On awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. Under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties with assurance, for after all, God gave us brains to use. Our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when our thinking is cleared of wrong motives. In thinking about our day, we may face indecision. We may not be able to determine which course to take. Here, we ask God for inspiration, an intuitive thought, or a decision. We relax and take it easy. We don't struggle. We are often surprised how the right answers come after we have tried this for a while. What used to be a hunch or the occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. Being still inexperienced and having just made conscious contact with God, it is not probable that we are going to be inspired at all times. We might pay for this presumption in all sorts of absurd actions and ideas. Nevertheless, we find that our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more on the plane of inspiration. We come to rely on it. We usually conclude the period of meditation with a prayer that we be shown all through the day what our next step is to be, that we be given whatever we need to take care of such problems. We ask especially for freedom from self-will and are careful to make no request for ourselves only. We may ask for ourselves, however, if others will be helped. We are careful to make no request for our own selfish ends. Many of us have wasted a lot of time doing that, and it doesn't work. You can easily see why. Hmm. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. I really want to thank Adrian and Ruth for their participation through the written word. I couldn't have done it without you, I think. And uh, and also, um, thanks to the, the Al-Anon Journal for some really inspiring readings. Thanks to the people in my meeting last night. And thanks to everybody in the program and to my higher power, of course. I want to uh, close this section of the podcast with a song, as we usually do. And the song that I chose here is by Leonard Cohen, titled, If It Be Your Will. If it be your will That I speak no more And my voice still as it was before I will speak no more I shall abide until I am spoken for if it be your will If it be your will Let a voice be true From this broken hill I will sing to you From this broken hill All your praises they shall ring this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week. I guess since I'm doing this one solo, that would be what's happening in my life and my meetings this week. So I missed missed my Wednesday night meeting this week, which is uh, my home group. The topic would have been step two, which would have been a good one for me. I missed it because uh, we had visitors from out of town and we went out to dinner together and that kind of made it so I couldn't get to the meeting. So what happened then is on Thursday, I realized that I really could use a meeting. And also that my wife was not working Thursday night. She's been working a lot of evenings lately. This is her busy time of year. 
So I texted her. I said, hey, you want to go to a meeting tonight uh, in this nearby town where they, they have uh, both both kinds of meetings, if you will, both programs meeting at the same time in different rooms, obviously. And she said, sure, and maybe we could get some dinner beforehand, which worked out very nicely because Friday was Valentine's Day and she was going to be working. And I also had an engagement, which was okay because she was working. So Thursday night turned into sort of our Valentine's Day date, if you will. And I joked to some friends afterwards, yes, we did dinner and a meeting. And then we went by the grocery store on the way home and bought an orchid. So it was our, our Valentine's Day date a day early on Thursday with a meeting in the middle of it. And the topic at that meeting was step eight. And I had just, the previous Saturday, that meeting, the topic was also step eight. And I thought, well, this is going to be a repeat. But it turned out it wasn't because what I did to a large extent in my share was to build on what I had realized while sharing in the meeting on Saturday, talking about how I was working to make amends to my wife for the the things that I had done to her that hurt her while while and after um, she was drinking, and that not only were these amends for her, but they were really also amends for me because those same things hurt me. And apparently it was the right thing to say because another person who shared after me said, wow, that is a, that's exactly where I am. That's what I'm feeling right now. And there again, there we are, you know, opening up, being ready for our higher power to speak to us and through us. This is what we do in meetings. This is what we practice in meetings. And this is what we can maybe try to practice in, in the rest of our life as well. Not working. That's not working so well for me these days. Work continues to be busy, stressful, and I find I, I let it take over more of my energy than is probably good for me. I'm starting to recognize that and will be asking my higher power for, for help in uh, keeping that at um, a manageable level. Um, I need to be working hard, but I don't need to be working so hard that it shuts out other things. And uh, I went to a couple other meetings. There was a step nine meeting Saturday morning and uh, heard some heard some really good things there. Also about making amends to ourselves and uh, ways in which uh, people are struggling to to make amends to people who had also harmed them, which is is something that I continue to struggle with. And so it's good to hear other people's thoughts um, on that topic as well. The weather um, continues to be stressful. It, it keeps on snowing. We've had uh, in the Ann Arbor area more snow this year than in any past year, I think. We're finding ourselves, I think we were number six on the 10 snowiest cities in the United States list, which is totally unusual for us. And I tell you what, I am getting kind of tired of snow. And it's supposed to snow again tonight. <sighs> Acceptance, Spencer. Acceptance. But man, it's hard. <laughs> okay. Next week, I want to talk about changed attitudes. You know, we say changed attitudes can aid recovery. And uh, I think it's in our, our suggested opening. And one of the one of the people who's been uh, influential in my program, who was a sponsor to me for a while, says often the only things I can control are my actions and my attitudes. And it's kind of easy for me to see how I can control actions, but but what about controlling attitudes? I mean, is that something that I really have control over? And if it is, how does that work? So what do you think? Can you control your attitudes? Can you change your attitude? Or attitudes is an attitude, a thing that, that just happens to you and, and you have no influence over whatsoever? Or is it somewhere in between? So I'd love to hear your understanding of how 
how changed attitudes can aid recovery and how we can change our attitudes consciously or maybe how our attitudes have changed through working the program. Let, you know, let us know. Uh, you know. Give us a call. Email us. Uh, any, of those, uh, any of those many ways we have for you to contact us. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And, uh, and how do you do that? Well, we have a phone number. You can call and leave a voicemail at area code 734-707-8795. It's, uh, again, that's 734-707-8795. You could call right now. You know, you can just pause the podcast, uh, say, ah, this is what I think about changed attitudes. Or you can think about it for a while and you can write down your thoughts and you can email them to feedback at com. That's feedback at com. We also have a voicemail button on the website that you can use to send your voice. If, uh, you know, maybe you're outside the U.S. and so that phone number is not very useful to you. Just click on the button on the website and start talking to your computer, which... I'll tell you what, when I started doing that, it seems pretty odd, and now it seems kind of normal. All right. And uh, what about uh, what about the website? The website is therecoveryshow.com. Very simple. We are The Recovery Show, and the website is therecoveryshow.com. And right there, we've got information about the show. We have notes for each episode. You can play the episodes right on the website. We uh, make links to uh, you know YouTube videos of the music that we play. Also, uh, links where you can download them from iTunes if you if you want to do that. Uh, we have a page with uh, suggested topics listed and the topics we've already covered. So if you're interested in a particular topic, you can look and see if we've talked about it or maybe something close to it. You can click on the, uh, the episode number next to the topic and you can go right there and you can listen to it. Or you can, uh, you can download it and listen to it later. If you're really inspired or ambitious, uh, send us a meditation. And actually, I got uh, it, it's, as part of uh, Ruth's email, she, she suggested that maybe when people uh, write something for the podcast, that uh, we could post that up onto the website so that um, you know you can go back and uh, and look at those words again because. Usually, when somebody writes something, they spend they spend some time thinking about it. They spend some time putting it together, and so I thought, well, that's you know, that's a great idea, and uh, and I don't think I would just do it without um, making sure it's okay with the person who wrote, because you know, if you write something to be read, and then and then it goes up there, and and there's your words, and people can look at them and go back and read them again. Maybe you don't want that. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too codependent. What do you think? Um, but anyway, you can think about also contributing a guest meditation. And uh, yeah, so hop on over to therecoveryshow.com and uh, and enter the conversation. And also, if you would really like to join the conversation, literally, you could consider being a guest host by telephone, by Skype, or Google Hangout. We have the uh, the capability, to technical capability to do that now. So email to feedback at com if you're interested in participating directly. Our next break, before we uh, continue with uh, your feedback and a little bit of podcast news, is a song by Jewel called Intuition. This is the second part, right? First part was God's Will. Second song is Intuition. And uh, what do I got coming up for the third song? Well, you'll find out. Modern fan, what was good now is bad. It's 
we got some email this week. Got a letter from Jenny. She says, hello, Spencer and friends. Thank you so much for creating the podcasts. I'm relatively new to Al-Anon as my qualifier, my mom, has relapsed after 20 years of sobriety. After going to meetings and listening to your podcasts, I've been able to start to coalesce my foundational issues and begin putting it all together. The more in-depth style of your conversations, being able to listen to them more than once, rewind them, take notes, has helped me very much lately. I'm so glad I found your podcasts. My question is about alcoholic behavior that loved ones take on. I know I've been enmeshed and codependent, and I'm trying to see that more objectively now. I also know I've developed my own addictions, nicotine, caffeine, sugar, but I'm wondering how other people take on alcoholic behavior. If you could tell me or direct me to any literature or podcasts on this, I would be very appreciative. Maybe this topic comes up as interspersed details exploring your conversations. The living, rich, full lives conversation touched on it when Spencer mentioned to Swetha that she was describing alcoholic behavior. And so now I'm kind of wondering about that. I know I've mimicked my mom's behavior since I was very young, and it all holds me back and it permeates everything. I'm guessing what is at play here is the pessimism, victim mentality, catastrophizing, being asocial, pinning hopes on somewhere, something, and sometime in the future. Shame and blame, not accepting reality, escapism, dot, dot, dot. I wonder if this is more the loved one's manifestation or the alcoholic's behaviors or my learned behavior or all of the above. Or if there's another set of behaviors that are uniquely alcoholic behavior that loved ones adopt that I'm not fully understanding. Thanks for your time and any insights you can share. Jenny. And, you know, we do talk about, oh, that's that's alcoholic behavior. And I think often what we mean there, often what I mean when I say alcoholic behavior is certain uh, personality traits that, that many alcoholics seem to share of uh, uh, self-centeredness. Um, I mean, that's sort of the, the big one, I think, the self-centeredness, but also risk-taking, um, finding behaviors or things or substances that can remove them from the world for a moment. Um, and so, you know, for example, commonly uh, when an alcoholic stops drinking, um, they will, they, they might significantly increase their consumption of sweet things. And the sugar there is acting actually as a direct substitution for the alcohol in their body. Um, but I see this in, in my loved ones that they have other behaviors that, when you look at them, um, are, are addictive behavior that they, they overdo um, and they start using other things as a substitute for um, or as a way to escape life. And, you know, this is something that I do as well. And, and I can find myself doing them to excess. And, and in that sense, I guess it's alcoholic behavior as well. I don't know. That's my, my off the top of my head thoughts. Um, and uh yeah i don't know it's 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 an interesting question and and i think it's something that i don't know if it's an episode or if it's something that we talk about in general i really try i mean i guess to some extent it feels like wow that's taking somebody else's inventory which we try not to do but at the same time there are patterns of behavior that that we see in our loved ones and that it's useful for us it's useful for me to understand that this behavior is is coming out of my loved one's illness, that the same um, sort of brain wiring that led her to drink um, also to some extent leads her to these other behaviors. And, and when I can understand that it's about her illness and it's not about um, her trying to annoy me uh, or whatever uh, I might think in my own self-centered way, um, that helps me to uh, to be accepting and um, to not to to be not a sort of judgmental bitch, which can certainly happen. So, some thoughts there. I think we'll come back to it. Got a letter from Alan. He says, "Hi Spencer, my name is Alan. I'm a double winner from Portland, Oregon. 
Just thought you'd like to know that amidst my very stressful life and long commutes, I have found your podcast to be a sustaining and calming source of recovery. I usually don't get to listen to them live, and it is not unusual for me to listen to a particularly valuable podcast two or three times. I'm really sorry that you lost your co-hosts, Kelly and Swetha, but know that you are supported as you trudge the road. Keep up the good work, Spencer. You really do make a difference, Alan. And uh, I think he's making a reference to uh, a phrase in the in the AA Big Book about trudging the road of happy destiny, and how trudge becomes a positive word there, which is it's never felt like a positive word to me. But but my understanding is that that you know it's it's not like this sort of step step. I'm trudging down the road it's not that and and i still have to understand that usage um but the, the the road of happy destiny diane wrote with a topic suggestion she says hi spencer re-listening to the one day at a time episode on the commute today i chose it to help me deal with elderly mother issue funny to hear i'd help sponsor it and it led to a topic suggestion aging parents the ones that installed the original buttons so easily pushed and are now in declining health and with some legitimate care needs and with expectations and sometimes demands of their offspring. I have a very challenging time with my mom and four siblings. As a fellow Al-Anon said to me, dysfunctional families are not at their best in a crisis. Wow. <laughs> Lots of opportunities to work my program. And uh, and she also said she had trouble um, entering it in as a suggestion on the topic page. And... Um, I'll talk about that in a in a moment. And so she also responds to the Second Tradition episode. The two words, loving and authority, rarely went together for me before Al-Anon. Gratefully, I now have a loving higher power. And read the upcoming episode on discerning the higher power's will. Check out Hope for Today, January 28th, specifically the last four lines of the main section. And unfortunately, that's a book that I don't have, so I wasn't able to do that. But she says, I love that opportunity, desire, ability, and time can be recalled using one day at a time. She says, yes, I'm an Al-Anon nerd. I also heard in the rooms that God's will comes with grace and ease. Blessings, Diane. A little bit of news. Um, as Diane uh, mentioned to me, and as um, I think Ruth had, had mentioned it to me earlier, and I thought I had fixed it when Ruth mentioned it, because, hey, it worked for me, but it turns out what works for me doesn't work for you. And so I looked into it more deeply, and there was a real problem with being able to leave comments on the website. I had put in a, a, a what's called a CAPTCHA, uh, which is uh, a way of trying to keep out the spam robots. This one asks you to do a little bit of arithmetic. Uh, you know, it says like, uh, 61 minus blank equals 52, and you're supposed to put in nine. Um, but there was a problem, and every time uh, one of you tried to do that, this error message would come up that said, uh, CAPTCHA time expired, no matter how quickly you try to do it. And so I went back and looked at it again, and I did some Googling, and I found out that there was a, an interaction with a couple of different pieces of software that are running on the website. And one person had a suggestion for how to how to make them play nice together. And I tried that, and it seems to be now working when I come in as an anonymous person rather than as me. That was the difference before. If I came in as me, it worked. But if I, if I came in anonymously, I got this time-expired problem. And uh, so I think I've got it fixed. Um, please, if you try to leave a comment on the website and you get this problem popping up, let me know, uh, because I really want you to be able to leave comments, but I also really have to keep the spammers out. Uh, when I had no CAPTCHA in place, uh, I saw this amazing escalation over a period of three months where there was sort of one million spam comments one month and two million the next month and three million the next month. And that was not sustainable and, and caused the whole website to slow down. And when I, as soon as I put the CAPTCHA in, the spam's down to almost zero which is where I want it to be. But I'm afraid if I take it off, well, it's probably all the way down to zero because nobody can leave any comments. Um, I'm afraid if I take it off, we'll be right back where we were with the spammers coming in and trying to leave ads for Louis Vuitton or whatever they're they're leaving ads for. And the thing is that, that you know, 
their spam never made it onto the website because they do have a plugin that gets rid of spam. But when you get, you know, 3 million spam comments coming in in a month, it takes a lot of work to say, oh yeah, this one's spam. Oh yeah, this one's spam. And that's a lot. Anyway, that's where we are. Um, my apologies for uh, screwing that up for everybody. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we do record live. Um, you can listen live as we're recording. Uh, there's a listen live link at the top of the page. And you can join in the in the chat room. Again, there didn't seem to be anybody here today. Of course, I also didn't record at the time I said I was going to. So I'm going to aim again for Sunday afternoon. That would be March 23rd. Um, I am going to be at a youth conference that weekend and returning sometime in the late morning. And so I may be really too tired to do it in that afternoon. And I need to figure that out beforehand, but I'm going to aim for doing it um, Sunday afternoon, March 23rd. I uh, can't say exactly what time um, depends on co-hosts to some extent. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to the recovery show. We do have expenses, which are running about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Becky did. And thank you again, Becky, for your continuing support of The Recovery Show. You can also support us by uh, buying books or other goods through Amazon. There's a books link at the top of the page. We have a list of recovery-related books. And if you buy any of those books from Amazon, by clicking through the link on our website, we get a small commission. Anything else you buy after you click on that link uh, in that same shopping session also earns us a commission, and that really um, helps to keep us going, and it doesn't cost you anything more. So I appreciate the, those of you who are doing that. Thank you. But, you know, no matter how um, you find to support us, whether it's by sending us money, whether it's by telling your friends or whether it's just by listening, or maybe sending us an email or a voicemail. Um, we are here for you. So I want to close the show with the uh, sort of the opposite of hearing our higher power's will. This is the song My Way by Frank Sinatra. And now the end is near And so I face the final curtain my friend, I'll say it clear I'll state my case Of which I'm certain I've lived a life that's full I traveled each and every highway And more, much more than this I did it my way Regrets, I've had a few But then again, too few to mention I did what I had to do Saw it through Without exemption I planned Each charted course Each careful step Along the byway And more Much more than this I did it My way Yes, there were times I'm sure you knew When I bit off More than I could chew But through it all When there was doubt I ate it up And spit it out I faced it all And I
Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time. I find it all so amusing to think I did all that. And may I say, not in a shy way, oh no, oh no, not me. I did it my